<coughs> this is case 70 from the Shoyoloku. Jinshan asks about nature. The introduction. One who hears the scent-bearing elephant <coughs> crossing the river has already gone with the flow. <coughs> Even one who knows that birth is unborn is stayed by birth. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo rope, you will be marking the boat when the sword is long gone. Kicking the wheel of potential into motion. How can you particularly travel on one road? Let's try to bring this up in the case. Master Jinshan asked Master Zhushan, clearly knowing the unborn nature of life, why are we stayed by life? Jinshan said, bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo shoots, bamboo. But if you use them now for bamboo rope, can you make them serve the purpose? Jinshan said, Later on, you'll be enlightened on your own. Zhushan said, I'm just this way. What is your meaning? Jinshan said, This is the monastery superintendent's quarter. That is the cook's quarter. Zhushan then bowed. Reverse. <clears throat> Empty and at ease, without dependence, lofty and serene, untrammeled, home and country peaceful, those who arrive are rare, a little bit of power divides ranks and grades, the fluid clear mind and body is beyond right and wrong, right and wrong ended, standing alone on earth, there is no beaten track. Last Sunday, last week, we had a, an important mondo about the origin of what's been plaguing humanity since the beginning of its existence. We talked about a sense of separateness that inevitably give rise to discrimination, hatred, and violence. We also discussed how crucial it is for each of us to take personal responsibility and examine how and when we experience separateness and can become aware of the automatic judgmental thinking. By becoming aware, we can intercept its momentum. And of course, this is not always an easy task because so much of our time on this planet is spent sleepwalking. To study the self means to open up our, to open our eyes and to recognize persistent and harmful patterns of thinking, patterns of behavior. And it's hiding in the way we think, in the way we act, and in the way we react. 
And so the only way to recognize it is through constant, seamless practice of awareness. What if, what if awareness shows you again and again that you just keep bumping against the same old self? We become aware of habits and we keep becoming aware of habits. You sometimes get the feeling that you are seeing a vast and free reality from the confine of a glass box. You're seeing it, right? As if you see fresh air, but you can't fill your lungs with it. As if you put a piece of delicious fruit in your mouth, on your tongue, but you can't taste it. It's as if there is a sense of separateness or something that is creating a gap. I think we know that feeling very well. Right? To clearly know the unborn nature of life and yet to be stayed by life. To see, to know there is a vast reality. And it's available. But not for me. we can become, we can be aware of a strong egoic patterns, which I think we all know very well. We can become aware of that and keep strengthening them. Or we can apply awareness in a way that loosens it up, loosens the tight grip of the ego. But we feel before we get to work on it, on, with this awareness, we need to verify the reasons we have taken on the practice. Why are we here? What are we doing with the practice? If anything, right? the quality of your practice is determined by the kind of expectations you have brought with you and how much you want to hold on to them. Right? And what, what is it that you refer to as progress in practice? What is progress? Right? And whatever it is that you refer to will, will affect your practice. And you will keep bumping into it. Yamada Kun said that Zazen is not a matter of realizing oneness, but of realizing emptiness. It's different to realize emptiness and not to realize oneness. If we grasp, if we can understand what that means, emptiness, at that moment, he says, you will grasp oneness in realizing that it is one. Realizing that emptiness is not separated from this. This means to recognize that you are empty of you. And the patterns of behavior we encounter are there to cover up. They are there, we invent them 
and they end up covering up the unborn, that which is empty, that which has no you in it. Maybe sometimes the more we encounter persistent patterns of being, the more discouraged we get. We can get very discouraged because we think we've been practicing for a while and there it is again. We expect to not have those, behavior, those patterns anymore. And they keep showing up. But they keep showing up. But the question is, do they show up? Were they ever been here? Or we keep inventing that? If they do show up, where do they come from? And where do they go to when we're not experiencing them? From where and to where? It's a vicious cycle. And somehow it propels itself, or we propel it. So how can we cut through all the entanglements and realize emptiness in a non-conceptual way? Again, non-conceptual, over and over again, because it's experiential. It's the only way to realize it. And that, that could be, this thought could be a point of entry. How can I? realize emptiness. It can be a point of entry, but, but the moment you grasp this thought and begin pondering it, you already separate yourself from that which you're looking for. You already drunk the liquor of dualism at that moment. And to be sober, we have to not drink that liquor. Or on biblical terms, to refuse to eat the apple. To refuse to separate, to refuse to conceptualize and go directly to actualization, bypass, go directly to the unborn. And I think it will be good to start with admitting to ourselves that we have become addicted to self. And it's a real addiction. addicted to that which is not the unborn. Maybe Zen centers are, should be considered as rehabilitation centers. Mm -hmm. Going back home, reminding ourselves that we need to wean ourselves from what we are doing, from what we are creating. So what is holding us back? What is holding you back right now from entering into the freedom of non-duality? How do we create a barrier? What is that glass wall made of? And it comes up often, you know, in, in small little ways. A few weeks ago, I gave basic Zazen instructions to someone, someone new to Aikido, who has some experience in the different style, different style of meditation, and and uh, as a part of what I instructions I gave him, I also taught him uh, four different breathing exercises. 
And he was very happy about that. And then a few days later, I asked him, why is he doing? He said, it's great because I often get bored in meditation and that gives me something to think about. Taking medicine and turning it into poison. And it makes sense because I sit there, I got nothing to do. Well, maybe I'll entertain myself with some breathing exercises. Well, I got four different kinds, which is great, right? So, and that's a good example of how we apply, how to apply breath awareness in the service of egoic self-preservation. We can take anything and use it to free ourselves or to trap ourselves further. It doesn't matter what it is. The habit is to trap ourselves. Right? I'm bored and instead of examining that source of boredom, I can satisfy it by letting my mind graze on some breathing sequences, right? But the mind, as you know, as we know, is never satisfied for too long. So very quickly it says, this is bland, give me something more interesting, uh, a juicy nugget or a memory, or maybe a thought about somebody I really despise. That, that keeps it going for a while. And I think that it demands that we obey and it demands again that we obey again. That keeps it going. And that by itself creates a barrier. So we can't get in touch with that which is, with the unborn, which is there all the time. But we are distracted. In this koan today we meet two Dharma brothers who both have finished formal study. But Jinshan is the, eld is the older one and has a deeper understanding. And in this dialogue, he's trying to help his buddy, his friend, to deepen. So he brings up this question. It's a very important question. Clearly knowing the unborn nature of life. Why are we stayed by life? And the footnote says, watch for the nose pin, the noose. Watch for the nose pin, but it doesn't have to be a nose pin. It's like always a fork in the road. What do I choose to do with this question? And this question is referring to a state of understanding where one has already, one has some level of understanding of nothingness, of emptiness, of the unborn. and yet still gets entangled by people, situations, fluctuations in self-worth. I'm valued, I'm not valued, I'm worthy, I'm not worthy. It works and it doesn't work. The commentary tells a story about how Jishan himself got entangled and reactive <clears throat> while he was studying with the Dijang. Two monks 
came to visit his teacher and bowed as they were about to leave, right? So they had a short discussion and bowed. And as they were bowing, Dijang said, both wrong. Neither of these monk, monks said anything at that moment. They just left. Later, they went to Zhishan, who was practicing there, who was a senior, and asked him to explain why Dijang said wrong. Zhishan said, you yourself are magnificent and outstanding, yet you bow to someone else. Isn't that wrong? When the head monk heard about that, he disapproved and he told Rishan, you yourself are deluded and ignorant. How can you help others? Of course, Rishan didn't like that comment. He ran to complain to his teacher, Dijan. I think sometimes running a monastery is a little bit like running a kindergarten. Instead of going to talk to the person who said that. He went to the boss. So Dijang looked at him, pointed to the hole and said, the cook went down into the pantry. Upon hearing this, Dijang realized his error. The cook went down to the pantry. Would that help you realize the cook went down to the pantry. What am I doing? What am I occupying myself with? Why do I find this kind of thinking so interesting? Why do I keep trying to figure out where am I at in this practice? How far have I gone how far do I still have to go? <coughs> now the self that lives through the thinking mind keeps looking for opportunities to reclaim lost territories and will try to do anything it possibly can to get what it thinks it owns. And often the deeper the realization, the stronger it will persist. It's futile. Again, we cannot resist impermanence, but we would like to. So back to the dialogue in this koan and Dijang's question. Why are we held back by everyday affairs? Zhishan being the younger and one the younger one and the one who feels insufficient is dealing with this question using a clever and a simple analogy. Bamboo shoots will eventually become bamboo, but if you use them now for bamboo ropes, can you make them serve the purpose? And this question appears in an earlier, earlier text from the time of the Buddha and is dealt with in a very similar way. One time the Buddha was invited, the Buddha and his congregation were invited to a feast some rich man's house. And during the meal, Manjushri asked, is there anyone who knows the unborn nature of life and is held back by life? And a young girl by the name Antisha was there. She got up and said, there is. The one who clearly sees, but his strength is not yet sufficient, is held back by life. 
the one who sees but yet does not have sufficient strength yet. And this is where Zhuishan took this answer from. And when we look at it, it makes sense, right? You know, we, we have to get good at something before we can put it to work, before we can access it. It takes time. The outer layer, by the way, of the bamboo shoots, the bamboo, where we used to, they would peel them off and weave them into ropes. So obviously, if you look at a bamboo shoot, you can't do that. And we, we do talk about maturity in practice and even have level, levels that indicate progress. We got Dongshan's five ranks, the ten ox herding pictures, the Buddha's four levels of jhana, the jukai, two levels of priesthood, dharma holder position, sensei, roshi. Those are all real, the traditional elements of practice. But we have to be careful how we use these. If we don't use them skillfully, they can create a hindrance. And they're not there to create a hindrance. They're there to help us <coughs> deepen, not to trap us. Where am I in the practice? How far have I gone? How far do I have to go before I become fill in the blank? Fill in the blank. So those are, those are skillful elements that can help us, that need to help us realize the unborn. But the unborn itself is free of practice and gradations. That which we try to realize, that we want to realize, does not have measurements in it. It doesn't need it. We do. You know, we, we may think of practice as a ladder and try to figure out which rung am I on now? And we look down, how many rungs have I climbed? And we look up, when do I get to the roof? What's up there? Each rung is the ladder, isn't it? It's made of the same material. Every rung you're on is it. Not less, not more. Exactly where you are is it. That does not become more. That was not less. The unborn does not decrease or increase. So it doesn't matter in reality how far you think you've walked on the path. But it does matter that we understand that what's most important is that we are on the path. 
And at that moment of realization, I am on the path, I am the path. The path is just one thing. And the path does not have gradations. We need to focus on learning how to travel well, rather than be focused on the destination. When you travel well, this is the destination. And then you can be at peace, exactly where you are, even when you're trapped, you can still be at peace, knowing that there is no other place for you to be, there is no other title. As I mentioned before many times, that from the day we enter the practice, we are expected to practice in accord with the Dharma. And then we can very easily fall into a trap and think, well, I'm not realized yet, so I can keep holding on to some possessive tendencies. Be kind when it's convenient and justify slacking off in my practice. I'm not there yet. My understanding is weak. I'm just a bamboo shoot. That gives the self enough room to, to operate within. Just enough. That's exactly what it wants. Yeah, I know, you're practicing to get rid of me, but you're not there yet. You still need me. You will get there at some point. Later. Until then, I'm going to stick around. And you will obey me. And we do. We do. We need to keep a beginner's mind regardless of how long we've been practicing. It doesn't matter. It, does, it really doesn't matter. Beginner's mind is a beginner's mind, period. This is a brand new moment and it's a brand new opportunity to wake up. To this, only to this, and only now. Irrespective of what was before and what will be later. All the practice is asking you to do is to wake up to this right now. That's all. Over and over and over and over again. But I think even that, you know, knowing how we think and how we identify with ranks, we would probably come up with the terms like intermediate beginner, advanced beginner, and a master beginner. Just to make sure that we separate. Give the self a little traction, a little ground, something to hold on to. And this koan, Zhishan, is using the bamboo analogy as an excuse. Maybe. Or maybe he's saying it just to, to see where the dialogue goes. That's why Jinshan says, later on you'll be enlightened on your own. Throws the ball back at you. Here, 
figure it out. But when does now become later? When will you realize? When will you be there? What else is needed to say, here I am? Here I am, complete. And Jishan responds by saying, I'm just this way. What about you? Jinshan ends it by saying, this is where the superintendent lives and this is where the cook lives. And the footnote to that says, he hit, it, he hit the ball to another place. Completely reframed it. Does that stop the mind? Does that stop your mind from spinning? Because if it doesn't, then we keep going back to this over and over and over again. Here is the unborn. Yet, yeah, but I got something else to think about. I have something I need to keep alive. And it is more important than that which is unborn. The born needs to be kept alive. And we keep doing it. Now, right now, if you can stop spinning the wheels for a few seconds, look around. Just look around. Everything your eyes follow, everything you see, offers the opportunity to wake up. And everything you see offers the opportunity to get further trapped. Everything and everybody. Every situation. Wake up now. Wake up to this, just now. Stop spinning. Stop creating, stop weaving. Stop concocting. And there it is. Your mother Kuhn also talked about that. He said we are so heavily relying on form although it is disintegrating in front of our eyes. In reality, there is nothing more reliable than emptiness, since there's no chance of it ever being destroyed. It's empty. And then he says, in that sense, it is the strongest support we can ever have in our lives. Rely on nothing. Trust nothing. It's always going to be there for you. It's always been there before you were born in this form. Trust nothing. <coughs> now the mechanism is automatic, you know, we, we can't stop that process of try of weaving. We weave automatically, but still, while the mind is weaving and concocting, freedom is there. Freedom is reaching out. It's always there, but unless we take... And actually recently, last couple of weeks, few people have told me stories of how they 
felt that mechanism working and felt like they're getting trapped and weaving stories started to react to those stories physically and then decided to stop and decided through volition to turn to the practice enact it and they were able through that to center themselves to calm themselves down to return to normal breathing cycle normal heart rate and anchor themselves in the practice which is amazing because that's what it's about it's not going to do something for us we have to do something with it we are it is true that we are accumulating well not accumulating but we are getting better at something but we, while we're getting better at it, it's not going to do something with us or to us automatically. Because the automatic is to turn away from the practice. The non-automatic is to turn to the practice. To enact it, to actualize it, to decide, I am not going to do this anymore. I am going to turn to the practice, I'm going to pay attention to my breathing, I'm going to pay attention to the unborn that I am. The introduction says, the one who hears the scent-bearing elephant has already gone with the flow. Even one who knows that birth is unborn is stayed by birth. If you go on talking about before concentration and after concentration, making bamboo shoots and making bamboo ropes, you will be marking the boat when the sword is long gone. The Nirvana, this is from the Nirvana Sutra. It talks about solid practice and illustrates it using three animals crossing the river. An elephant, a horse, and a rabbit. When a rabbit crosses the river, it scoots over across the surface, barely touching it. When a horse crosses the river, sometimes its feet touch the bottom and sometimes floats, which is neither here nor there. But when an elephant crosses the river, its feet always touch the bottom firmly. And some commentators say that the Japanese word tetei, which means thoroughly, comes from that story about the elephant. Now Zen practice must be thorough and firm-footed exactly like the elephant, like the way an elephant walks. That's how we need to actualize it. That's how we need to practice. Wholeheartedly. Not part-time. Full-time. That's how we need to work on koans, wholeheartedly. Not once in a while. I'll pick up, I'll read a few words and put it down and go back to spinning the wheels. Go back to the habits. In order to break that habitual way of being, we have to be determined like the way an elephant walks. Solid.
in Sozan Zenji once brought this up and asked Elder Toku, in what sutra does the passage appear saying that the Bodhisattva who hears the fragment, the fragment elephant crossing the river while in Samadhi? Elder Toku said, it's in the Nirvana Sutra. Sozan then asked, does he hear it before Samadhi or does he hear it after Samadhi? That is the before concentration and after concentration. Elder Toku said, he hears it in Samadhi. Now, Sozan brought this up to test Elder Toku and see if he's still stuck in before and after. Is he still waiting for something else to happen? Is he still dividing grades, ranks, levels? And the introduction here is taking this point further and telling us that as long as we hold on to ranks or levels of understanding, we miss the opportunity or opportunities to practice. We miss life itself. And the line, you'll be marking the boat when the salt is long gone, is referring to a story where a warrior was traveling in a boat. While he was traveling, the salt fell into the water and he quickly marked the point on the boat where the salt fell, so he can go look for it. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Kind of stupid. And in a way, that's what it, the, the introduction is saying. We are not practicing correctly. It is silly to practice in this way in dividing it to ranks and levels, in waiting for something else to happen, because waiting for something else to happen means something will not happen later. Because it's happening now. <coughs> now, in realization, you don't realize something new. You realize something that is unborn that does not arrive from anywhere. You don't become bigger. You realize greatness. You don't accumulate anything. So with no accumulation, how can we talk about levels and ranks? Kicking the wheel of potential into motion. How can you particularly travel on one road? Right now, you kick the wheel of potential into motion. That is to enact the practice. That is to intercept the habitual way of thinking, the propulsion of the mind. Stop and look and wake up right now. And then you kick the wheel of potential into motion. It is a potential. Everybody has it. But most keep it dormant. The verse says, Empty and at ease, without dependence, lofty and serene, untrammeled. The footnote says, Pulling apart the golden chains, 
throw away everything, even if you think it's important to hold on to. Even Dharma stuff as a concept is meaningless. Even koans or stories are meaningless. To pull apart the golden chain, freedom of expression. Home and country, peaceful, those who arrive are rare. A little bit of power divides ranks and grades. And the footnote says, forcibly creating subdivisions. A little bit of rank, a little bit of power divides. A little bit of power. With a little bit of understanding, we think that there is such thing as before, now, and after. We think that I am not there yet, but I will get there at some point. But the power is the full power is available all the time. All the time. The fluid, clear mind and body is beyond right and wrong. Now here it says, the footnote says, if you see the strange as not strange in that line, and the next line, right and wrong ended, and the footnote says, the strangeness disappears of itself. If you see something strange as not strange, the strangeness disappears of itself. It's reminded me of, and I told this story before, uh, when I was growing up in Israel as a teenager, and I used to hang out with my friends at this area of Tel Aviv. It wasn't a very clean area. We used to walk there once in a while and just to shop. And very noisy, a lot of people close to the marketplace. Lots of buses crossing the street. And every time I would go there, I would have this feeling of melancholy. And I couldn't figure out what it is. And I always thought it's the place itself that is making me feel this way. So I tried to avoid it. There's something in me that felt I am not home here. This is strange. Strange for me. And then I remember years later, I went back. And I walked around there. And I was almost waiting for it. And waiting for the feeling, for the strange feeling. But it was gone. And the place was actually fine. And I was home. It was no longer strange. Nothing changed in the place, but somehow I dropped that in me that said, this is strange, this is not home. That in me that felt there is no, or there is a mismatch here. The place did not change. I think got worse, actually. But everything changed. Everything is the same, but different. When you realize that it is in you, everything is different. 
And then you see that nothing has changed. Everything is the same. And then you realize that there is nothing to wait for. It's not I'm going to sit here and wait for these people to behave the way I want them to behave. Or for this place to be cleaned up. Built up. For different people to come and live here. For the world to be sane. There is nothing to wait for. When you see something strange is not strange, the strangeness, are, the strangeness disappears by itself. And then the last line of the verse says, standing alone on earth, there is no beaten track. There is no path. There is no way to get somewhere else. There's justice. And this is unborn. As long as you think, later on I'll have the power to confront my habits, you are practicing in accord with that thought. Not in accord with the Dharma. In accord with the thought that says, later on I will have the power, which means now I don't have the power to confront my habits. That's, that becomes your practice. Actually, that determines the way you practice. And in that, you give yourself permission to not confront your habits. The commentary brings up a poem that was written by another person related to this koan. Pity that my mind is clear, but my power is insufficient. Time after time, seeds produce manifest patterns, persisting habits. Like a man gone crazy from wine, no sooner sworn off drink than finding some fine liquor. Isn't that an amazing description of our lives? We decide to stop this madness. We decide over and over again. No more. I am not going to do this anymore to myself. I am not going to do this anymore to people I care about. And then we drink again. And then we are drunk again on the liquor of dualism. It's an obsession. It really is an obsession. Realization is not a matter of time. It doesn't take time to realize. It's a matter of willingness to shed the extra baggage. That which we have become attached to. And there's no becoming. There's just being. And the willingness to walk around baggage-less. Self-less, story-less, <coughs> past-less, future-less. I, I don't think it's a lot to ask of ourselves, but it feels like that. 
It feels like the practice is asking us sometimes too much. Give up everything. I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. I need it. Who am I without it? Bankei, 17th century Japanese Zen master, focused his entire teachings around realizing the unborn. And he said, instead of struggling to do or become something, one needs to cease struggling entirely. If one is truly natural and innocently spontaneous, the unborn will appear. The key to realizing is not some method or practice, however helpful this may be, and it is helpful, but letting go of everything which is not the unborn, to let go of everything which is not the unborn, which means past and future. And he says, he says, this involves no special methods as typically understood. It involves the total openness of, one's, of one who has no presumed goal, intention, desire, or wish. No goal, intention, desire, or wish. That sums it up, doesn't it? It sums it up, but how often, and we have to be honest, how often do we sit waiting for later? Later on, I have a plan. I'm going to go do this and that with those people. It's going to be great. I'm going to go on vacation. And go watch a movie. Whatever. Whatever it is, we sit and wait for something else to happen. And by that, we reject. We reject the unborn, waiting for the unborn. Peace and equanimity come with realization of one's true nature. There is no more at that point, there's no more need to make a point to anybody, to be defensive, to be heard by others. There's no need to complain to other people or judge them. Through realization, a person will naturally, naturally act in compassionate way, will naturally be humble, will be kind and helpful without expecting any rewards. And that is to be innocently spontaneous without anything else, without anything else that is weighing on it. Be who you are. And it is innocent and spontaneous because it bypasses the conditioned self and flows directly out of the unborn. Clear seeing, direct seeing, goes from the unborn directly into reality itself. Without bypassing the, the judgmental mind. So without, with, by, with bypassing, without stopping and pondering. 
And there's no need to know that. There's no need to be aware of that. In the Genjo Koan, Dogen wrote, when Buddhas are truly Buddhas, they do not need to be aware of being Buddhas. There's nothing special about being who you are. There's no need to write home about it and tell everybody. I've arrived. I've achieved. I've mastered. Mastered what? Being who you are? That would be ridiculous. And then Dogen writes, continues that sentence by saying, however, however, there are actualized Buddhas and further actualized Buddhahood. Wherever you think you are in the practice, it is both complete in its own accord and at the same time a place from which to deepen further. Both complete and a place from which to deepen further. It's not a place to sit on. It's not a place to be defined by. It's not a stamp, a level, a grade. I'd like to finish with uh, Maizumi Roshi's last verse. <coughs> he actually uh, wrote that, from what I understand, uh, for to Bernie, Bernie Glassman, uh, upon Inca. He said, the Dharma of thusness has been intimately conveyed from Buddhas and ancestors. It has been transmitted generation after generation down to me. To complete or not to complete is of no consequence. Enlightenment above enlightenment, delusion within delusion, is also of no consequence. Manifest Genjo Koan, which means actualizing the fundamental point. Play freely in inward and outward fulfilling Samadhi. Maintain and nourish the one Buddha mind seal. Life after life, rebirth after rebirth. Practice diligently. Do not regress. Do not let the wisdom seed of the Buddhas and ancestors be discontinued. Thus, I deeply implore you.